ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. Welcome to another episode of the Jake Brotel Sports Experience. My name is Jake, and I'm glad to be back in your ear holes to, to talk some NFL football week 12. We've got a Thanksgiving triple header recap to get to. Three great games, great food, great company, great football. Uh, and then we'll spin off into the veritable cornucopia of other week 12 fixtures as everyone is back from buys. Everyone has returned. The NFL family hadn't all been together in a round of football uh, in a while, but now they're back as we make the eventual journey toward the Super Bowl. But I'm not doing this pod solo. We've both taken turns doing solo pods the last two episodes. I did one for uh, a Thursday night football recap, I think it was. Trying to remember. Yes, I think that was right. And oh no, yeah. it was a whole, it was a whole week whatever recap. And then, <laughs> then Minnesota Jack, I gave you the keys to the JBSE and you returned it in one piece and with a full tank of gas and did some nice driving uh, on your road trip. How are you? Good. It was uh, an interesting experience, you know, taking taking the keys, taking the wheel and uh, doing a whole pod felt, uh, you know, felt proud of myself that I went ahead and did it. Mm. Didn't make too many mistakes for a rookie. Um, but also glad to be back with you because it's a different experience doing a solo show. Um, it's nice to have a break from talking for a little bit and then let someone else give their, give their thoughts. I think we work well in a, in a tandem. So, uh, as nice as solo shows are to kind of freshen it up. Um, this is our peak form is when we're doing it together. I feel. Absolutely. This is the the final evolution form uh, when you pick the JBSE and throw down your Pokeball um, with your favorite podcast inside it. That This is the peak form. This is what it looks like. This is peak evolution. Um, we've got games to get to, Jacko, and they were good. They were really good. We got together for some sort of, uh, I mean, as Australians, we don't necessarily celebrate Thanksgiving, but we definitely had a food and football day. Um, you brought some some turkey, some shaved turkey slices, and we had cheese and crackers and turkey slices, and there was some pumpkin pie and goodness. It was very nice, very nice afternoon. Yeah, there was uh, almost. I thought there was going to be too much food, but at the end of the day, we proved ourselves to be managed <laughs> quite the gluttons, <laughs> and we we ate a lot. Um, so the food was great. Um, and yet, like you said, the football was great too. Um, three games that all had the potential to be really fun and they all were to varying degrees. But I think you look back at that slate and you go, yeah, they were all good in the end, all one score games. Absolutely. Now let's get into them. We're going to start, we'll go through these in chronological order and then we'll preview for you the rest of the week 12 slate, including our sicko picks. And we start with a game that Jacko had a sicko pick in, and that was the Detroit Lions playing the Buffalo Bills at Ford Field in front of 66,500 people. Uh, this was the early game and it did not disappoint. Dan Campbell's Lions, a serpent of death, man. 
Um, they came out and they played really good football. They really like a game that the Bills ultimately win 28 to 25. It was a, a contest of narrow margins. The Lions far from disgraced. For a lot of this game, Jacko, the Lions probably had a claim as the better team um, for, for large stretches of this game. Um, ultimately cost themselves with some turnovers. They had four fumbles on the day. Two of those were lost. Um, so that makes a big difference in a game that you lose by a field goal. But, you know, Jared Goff played pretty well. 23-37 for 240 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, they didn't get a lot out of their running game. It was only really Jamal Williams who popped for 18 carries, 66 yards. Uh, Armin Rasen Brown, 122 yards on nine catches and a touchdown. But Jacko, the, the key to this game may have been, obviously, Josh Allen's you know field goal drive with what they were given 23 seconds to do so after the Lions had tied it up with a field goal of their own. Um, Allen and Diggs marched them down in short order, kicked the winner. But plays by Ed Oliver, uh, who had a sack, six tackles, a couple of QB hits, a forced fumble and a recovery. It was stuff like that from the defense that really helped, wasn't it, for the Bills? Oh, for sure. Um, As you said, Detroit's offense, even though their run game wasn't great, overall... They looked good and they were competitive, but at the end of the day, it was the Bills' defense that stood up when they needed, like you said, the turnovers um, really killed Detroit. I think that that was my main takeaway was that if Detroit were to win this game, had to be clean, had to be clean. No picks, no fumbles lost, no like special team errors. It just had to be a clean game of football. And the fact, you know, losing by three, and you have two turnovers, that, that's, that's your ball game. Um, so I don't know how many honorable losses Detroit can take before you start to go, okay, maybe they're just not that good. Um, I'd like to put that in that category because they really did fight. And for large portions of the game, um, they looked a better team. They looked to be playing better. Um, they looked more efficient. Um, but when it counted, they 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 fell apart. Um, and you can't do that against a Buffalo team that I know is not as good as they were in the first month. They're not the team that they used to be. They're in a bit of a tough spot right now, but they're still the Bills. They've still got a great quarterback. They've still got a great defense. Um, and at the end of the day, that's what showed up was that was the team that won, Buffalo. And I think they will they will come out of this game going – all right, we 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 escaped um, barely against Detroit. We better really go out and perform next week. Uh, but I, I think Detroit would be pretty happy with themselves in regards to like third and fourth down. Because you look at their third down conversion, you're like, oh, six of 15, it's not really that great. But they had three of three successful fourth down conversions. So that's nine of 15 with, um, you know, drive extending plays. Uh, which against that defense, pretty good. Uh, so there's a lot of it that you could take out of this game from Detroit's perspective and say that, you know, like I say, Goff played really well. He didn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, like their receivers were making plays. Defense was making plays against this great offense in Buffalo. But again, 
it had to be perfect. It had to be a perfect game, and they were, yeah, a turnover or two away from that. Yeah, and and like you go back to those fumbles. The, the one of them was from uh, Jamal Williams, who was you know pretty good. Other than that, you know, a, a fumble forced by Ed Oliver. Um, that Oliver also recovered at the Buffalo 41. They'd got it into Buffalo territory. They were driving to, to go ahead. Um, it was seven all at that point. The Bills get the ball. They go straight down the field and add a touchdown. Um, now, you know, the, the Lions themselves go down and answer to lock it up at 14-14, but you just wonder if it happens the reverse way, you know, if the Lions get to make the pace, um, they, they were definitely, you know, moving the ball well on the Bills. Another one I just wanted to pick your brain about, I thought it was a little strange, the, the final um, Detroit drive of the, uh, of the game. They, you know, start at their own 25, they drive all the way down, to the Buffalo 47. They have a second and 15. They get 14 yards. Goff to Amon Ra St. Brown. So it's third and one at the Buffalo 33. They're trailing by a field goal. There's 32 seconds on the clock. And on third and one, they try a deep pass intended for DJ Chark, which goes incomplete. They kick the field goal with the, you know, and give Buffalo 23 seconds left. Do you think not a little bit strange on that third and one to just try and pick up the first down, a fresh set of downs, and essentially deny the Bills an opportunity to go down and win it. You can drain the clock and tie it. You can go for a touchdown to you know to win. Do you think that was a little bit like un Dan Campbell esque in a way, like safer than we've seen them play in the past? It struck me as really odd when it happened. Um, you know, you're at mm. third and one, and I know they didn't, weren't running the ball great, but when you've got a guy like Jamal Williams as your running back, like give him the ball and just let him go down the guts and pick up a yard, right? Um, it almost seemed like on that third down throw that they – that's what you would do if you were going were gonna to go for it on fourth down. Yeah. Like, okay, let's just see if we can pick up some yardage here, catch them off guard. Hey, if it doesn't work, we're going to go for it on fourth down anyway. So the fact that they throw, don't get it, and then decide to not just kick a field goal, but a 51-yarder ends up being kicked, right? But yeah. 51 yards is not an easy field goal. No. And you just imagine if they miss that, then mm. the, the decision would look idiotic. Whereas now it's kind of, I don't know how many people are thinking about it because at the end of the day, you tie the game and it's Detroit's defense. They kind of gave up the game in the end by letting... Josh Allen lead them down the field and and themselves score a field mm. goal. So I, I feel like it was odd, an odd play call and not what you kind of expect from that offense. Yeah, that's I suppose what what stuck out to me was it just it was just unexpected sort of thing. Um it was it was just strange. It was just strange to see an offense that is normally so aggressive with exactly that kind of situation. Like you said, they went for it twice on fourth down. I believe it was on their second touchdown drive um, to tie it up 14 all. They they went for it once, I think, on their own side of the field. And then again um, on fourth down, I think that was the touchdown thrown on the fourth down. I was just trying to see, uh, yeah, fourth and one. 
Jared Goff with a pass to Armin Ra St. Brown for the touchdown. Um, they'd also gone for it on fourth and one at their own 33-yard line on that drive. So, yeah, that really struck me as weird because if you get that first down there, you control the outcome of the game from there. You can take yep. shots into the end zone. You know, you ultimately, if that's not successful, you can kick the field goal, which you did anyway, and you just let Buffalo have less time. Um, I really felt pretty comfortable that the Bills were going to go down and get that field goal with the 23 seconds on the clock. It just felt too much time, which is crazy. Crazy what quarterbacks and teams, you know, can do these days. Like, it's no longer like the two-minute drill. It's like most teams can do the 30-second drill. You know, most teams with it with yeah. one of the top, you know, say top five, top ten quarterbacks, they can get this done. It's not that hard to move the ball um, for these offenses. So good win for the Bills against a really quality opposition. Um, a good loss. I wonder if internally, Jacko, and we talked about this, how this season is being viewed in Detroit internally because from an outside perspective I think the Lions have struggled for so long you've got to be patient with a guy like Dan Campbell who's turning around like a culture of mediocrity um you know I think this season so far and if it can continue you know if they can get back to 500 that's a really you know pretty successful year from where they were last year I mean this was a team that's 313 and 1 or whatever it was but I wonder, do you think there's any danger that it's being viewed differently by Detroit? Do you think, are you at all worried that Dan Campbell could get the sack or do you think they're pretty set with him? It's tough. It's really tough because there's such a difference between like what I think should happen and what, (laughs) you know, uh, a front office is going to want to do. I would hope not. I would hope that they just go, all right, we're just going to see what Dan Campbell does this year. And next year is the measuring stick. You've had two years of development. We've talked about this on the pod. Like you've got your two years of development. Now here's your chance to prove yourself. Um, and this kind of ties into what I said about, you know, having a lot of honorable losses. If you're the owner, right. And you, all these honorable losses keep piling up. You might start to wonder, okay, maybe we just need a guy who could turn these honorable losses into tough wins mm. and just give it a shot. I don't think they should do that because Dan Campbell has that locker room. And I feel like he coaches well enough. I haven't seen enough like tape yet to have like a full opinion on who he is in terms of a coach like on the field. But I get the feeling from what I have seen that he does coach well. He does adjust. He does keep his teams in games for the most part, which not a lot of teams can say for themselves. Um, also shouldn't be meant that shouldn't be forgotten that in a three point game, Detroit gave up a safety. Yes. Imagine how the game would have changed if not for yeah. that safety where they decide, okay, we're going to, we're going to stand, we're going to let Jared Goff stand in the end zone and wait to get sacked. Um, like you, not only do you give away a possession cause you punt it straight back, but you give them two points. Um, because that changes it again. Let's say they do end up punting it away, but they don't give the two points. Then that fourth and one is a very different decision because then you go, hey, we can kick a field goal to win, not to tie it up. You know, so just little things like that, I think, might possibly bother ownership and the people in charge. 
but it shouldn't really. I think you just you, you try and get close to five hundred, which I really think they can. Detroit, I, I don't think I think they've got a few more wins in them. Um, and then next season, see what you can do. Yeah, and, and shout out too to James Houston, a linebacker who debuted for the Lions. His first game, he comes up with two sacks and a fumble recovery. So pretty nice debut wow. for them. They've got a good linebacking core there coming through with Rodriguez and uh, Houston. The pass rush started to look, you know, nice with Aiden Hutchinson. So, yeah, I think there's a really, really bright future around the corner for Detroit. And you just wonder if Detroit has their own Josh Allen how different that game looks if they have a QB that they trust in that fourth and one situation. It's surprising to me that they didn't trust their offense on that fourth and one late in the game to, to go and win it. Um, or on the third and one, you know, uh, anyway, you only need a yard and you have total control of the game. Let's get through this one a little quicker and then I'll allow you to pivot into the Vikings game. Now this game, the Cowboys, against the Giants in AT&T Stadium down uh, the home of the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys emerge 28 to 20 victors. Oh, before, we, we should mention that you did take the Lions to cover nine and a half points yes. as underdogs against the Bills. So that's a tick. Get that off. We're currently 38, 23, and three on the season. So 38 correct, 23 wrong, three pushes. Um, so traveling nicely here at around 60% hit rate. Um, the Cowboys and Giants was an interesting clash. It was a close game early and up to half time. The, the, Cow uh, the Giants took a 13 to seven lead in at the half. There was some weird stuff where the Giants were really aggressive with the pass early and Mike McCarthy went for it on fourth down deep inside his own territory to hand the Giants the ball back. And it was like, holy crap, if the Giants can put a couple of touchdowns on the board here, you know, like the energy in this stadium might get a bit different. But unfortunately, after they got up 13 to seven, the only touchdown they added was with eight seconds left on the clock deep into junk time effectively it was the cowboys who added three scores of their own two in the third quarter one in the fourth as the offense and defense clicked they had 169 yards and two touchdowns rushing um they were absolutely um you know monstrous on defense that pass rush you had Micah Parsons, two sacks. I mean, this guy should be in the MVP conversation, Jacko, not just in the Defensive Player of the Year conversation. Micah Parsons is a game wrecker. Uh, Dallas really put the foot on the throat after the Giants let them get back into it after some early struggles. What were your sort of takeaways from this game? Yeah, sort of very much um, what you've said already. New York was they were poised to take this game in a totally different direction. Um, and I forget the exact situation, but I remember there being a point late in the second quarter where I was like, hey, if they can get a touchdown here, I think they were going to be up something like 17-7 to 7 instead of 13-7. to 7. They would have been up multiple scores. Uh, and I was like, oh, if they can do that, man, they'll, they'll be in a really good position to win this game. And they settled for a field goal, and you're like, okay, 
Cowboys get the ball back to start the second half. Okay, let, let's see. And obviously the Cowboys do and they score. And yeah, the Giants did nothing after halftime. Uh, the Cowboys, credit to them, they adjusted on defense uh, and, and continue to press on offense. I, I feel like the Cowboys were just caught out in that first half a little bit, um, a little bit confused. You know, like you say, there were those weird decisions they made on offense. Um, uh, some bad, and not just bad, but like weird interceptions that Prescott threw. He threw two picks um, yeah. that just felt felt odd. Uh, it was just a weird, but at the same time, exciting first half because you're like, hey, New York's on the right end of this stuff and they might actually win this game. But you, you felt like they just needed to take a breather at halftime, the Cowboys, and they did. And they came out and, yeah, scored 21 points to seven, really 21 points to nothing in terms of meaningful football time um, in that second half. And the Cowboys still look like they are one of the best teams, not just in the NFC, but in the league. And I, I totally agree about Micah Parsons. He is a guy you build your team around. And that is tough to do for a defensive player. Like number one is quarterback, right? That's who teams build their teams around. Then maybe it's a receiver. Then maybe it's a running back. Yeah. A pass rusher, I feel like he is legit a guy where you go, he's our guy. He is going to win and decide games for us. So let's build the roster around that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And like he's he's a player that, you know, you normally think about, you know, football strategy. And I know this is kind of a basic bitch way to think about it, but you think about like defenses thinking about, oh, how do we stop Cooper Cup? You know, we've got to think about a scheme our defense to stop him. You know, offenses have to plan around where Micah Parsons is. He almost dictates how an offense has to plan, um, you know, for attacking the the defense because, you know, he, he requires double teams and he can destroy double teams and he's just dynamic. He's just totally fucking dynamic um, and he was brilliant and he was a difference maker when they needed a difference maker. So, you know, in, in the same vein as like TJ Watt for the Steelers, you can just feel it. You can feel the game bend to his will when he's like, I need a sack here. I'm going to go and get a sack. I'm going to force a fumble, whatever it might be. So he's spectacular to watch. Um, CD Lamb, spectacular to watch, uh, reeled in one beautiful one-handed catch, but he almost had like another two, six catches on 11 targets, 106 yards. Michael Gallup did some nice stuff. The dual-headed running back situation, 34 carries between Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott for 152 yards and a touchdown. Uh, this Dallas team feels poised to 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 make a deep and meaningful playoff run. Where are you at with the Giants? Like I, I said a couple of weeks ago, New York, fade New York in the second half of the season. You know, they might cover, you know, games against the spread. They'll get close, but they're going to lose more games in the second half than they win. Specifically, I want to know where are you at with Daniel Jones? Because they took away Saquon Barkley. He had 11 carries for 39 yards. And this is two weeks in a row now. The Lions took away Saquon Barkley. The Cowboys took away Saquon Barkley and the Giants didn't look the same. Jones isn't the quarterback in 2023, is he? They're, they're going somewhere else. Unfortunately. And I say unfortunately because I said to you when we were watching the game, I feel like Daniel Jones could be a really good quarterback. Could be that sort of like 
you know, 14th, 15th ranked quarterback. Um, if he's given the weapons, if he's given the offensive line, he's given the defense to, um, you know, make plays for him when he's not on the field. Like I think he he has he has the tangibles, he has the intangibles. I think he has a lot of it, but um, he's just not being given the support. But at the same time, you can't wait around for that if you're a quarterback in this league. You can't go, oh, woe is me. Like, um, I need support. It's not my problem. You have to take ownership. You're a quarterback in this league. You've got to make plays. Zach Wilson. And he just doesn't do it. Yep. You can't You can't be Zach Wilson, you know. Uh, just in general, you can't be Zach Wilson. Uh, but in a football sense, you cannot be Zach Wilson. You've got to take ownership and you've got to make plays. He just doesn't do it enough. And so I, I think Daniel Jones strikes me as the kind of guy that won't be with the Giants next year. He'll be a backup and maybe in three or four years he has not to the same level, but a Geno-like resurgence where he just happens to fall into some team as a backup um, and get promoted to starter. And you're like, hey, Daniel Jones is good. Um, And then, you know, ends up not being that great in the end. But I think he has that potential, but he won't be that at the Giants. I think the Giants go, got a great coach. We've got some really good players. We just need a quarterback who can... We need a we need a quarterback like Justin Fields, who's maybe not as maybe a little more raw, but can actually go ahead and win a football game. So my question though is, and maybe I'm too hasty, and I teed you up saying he's not going to go. But you know, the other thing I suppose you have to think about as well is, do they have greater needs? Like you've said just then, which I think is a fair point. Daniel Jones, if he had the right weapons around him, blah blah blah. So why don't the Giants go and put the right weapons around him? Do you know what I mean? Like. The, the tricky thing mm. will be his contract, like how much he wants to be paid versus what you can pay a rookie quarterback. Um, but, you know, like I, I wonder, I, I think, you've yeah, you've made good points there. Like he's got tangible skills. He's got intangible skills. Like um, there's never been a question about his toughness or his dedication to being a professional. Like I wonder if that coaching staff goes, well, it's four interceptions. You know, and he's two of his best games, you know, against the Packers in Lambeau, 21 of 27 for 217 yards. Now, he had no touchdown throws, but 77% of his passes in a 27 to 22 win where he didn't fuck it up for you. Um, beating the Ravens, 19 of 27 for 173 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, you, you know, like... He has had some good games in key spots, beating Tennessee in the first week of the season. It's an interesting one. It's a conundrum. I, I think the Jets would kill to have a quarterback of Daniel Jones level right now. If you could plug Daniel Jones into that Jets offense, um, I think the Jets would be very happy with Daniel Jones level quarterback play right now. It's just, uh, it'd just be interesting to see where they go, but I like this Giants team. I really like the way they're coached, the way how they compete. Uh, Brian Dable looks like a fucking great hire to me so far. Um, and the Cowboys look like a serious Super Bowl contender. Uh, I'm happy, though, now to open the floor to you. I'm going to do a shorter um, tee-up for this because I just want you to wax poetic about the Minnesota Vikings, Jacko, takes a long swig of water, preparing the vocal cords here. Um, the Vikings play a seesawing encounter. One Like this and the Lions game vied for the best game of 
the 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 slate. The the Vikings come out with a thirty three to twenty six victory over the Patriots at US Bank Stadium in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins' first victory in three attempts against Belichick. Previously, I didn't say this to you before the game, but he'd only managed to put up 10 points in each of his last two games against the Patriots. He had not played very well against Bill Belichick. Um, The Vikings got right, Jacko. Give us your thoughts. They did indeed get right, and they had to. They had to after the game against the Cowboys where they just got absolutely embarrassed. There's no other way to put it. Um, and they had to, on a short week, should not be forgotten, on a short week, had to then go back home where they just got embarrassed and prepare against a Bill Belichick defense that is one of the best in the league. Like, they've got some of the best secondary players in the league. They've got one of the best pass rushes. Their whole pass rushing unit is, like, I think the second best in the league. So they're spread as well. It's not just one guy. And they had to prepare to put points on the board because that was the main, like, I know the defense gave up a lot of points, but I felt like the offense in terms of the talent we have, right? We know that we're really, we're, we're lacking on the defensive side. A lot of that is injuries right now. I think three of our starting cornerbacks are injured. Um, so the fact that the offense was mostly healthy except for Darisol for a portion of that game um, didn't put up, they put up three points. So to on a short week against the Patriots develop a game plan to put up points um, was going to be a tough ask. And they did 33 points uh, against the Patriots. You know, one of those touchdowns was a kickoff return, um, which I had called. I said before the end of the the half, (laughs) I, I called. I said they they need a play here. I reckon I reckon big cock energy. Kevin O'Connell has got a has got a kickoff return touchdown play in the playbook against the Patriots, who think they're pretty they're pretty hot shit after doing one last week. And hey, it wasn't literally the next play, but it did happen in the second half. And I think that that was the special teams unit in any team is all about creating sparks. I feel. Is creating sparks for the offense, the defense. They're, they're like plug-in units to go like, hey, either we're lacking momentum, give us some, or we've got the momentum, let's keep pushing. They're, they're, they're a real complementary unit. And I felt like they were that um, in this game. If you take away Greg Joseph, who needs to be cut yesterday, again, missing an extra point that changed the game. It won't cost Would have been a touchdown you know, playoff game. game. No. The Vikings have never <laughs> lost a playoff game ever because of a kicker. That's never happened, right? That's never happened back no, in the Zimmer never. era. Little chip shot. So I don't have uh, any kind of thoughts about that. Uh, so beyond the Greg Joseph stuff, the special teams, I feel like, was a massive, massive part of this game against Bill Belichick. He's all about special mm. teams. Um I, I won't go so far as to say Kevin O'Connell outcoached Bill Belichick because that's it's too tough to gauge that. Mm. But I felt like he he created the best game plan against Belichick because you know Belichick is known for taking away your best player, taking away your the best aspect of your offense or your defense, and making you play left handed. That's what he's known for. He's like, okay, I'm going to take away this aspect now. Try and beat us. 
and they couldn't do it because Justin Jefferson had a great game. He had one of his better games in a long, like in his career that's been like three years, right? Probably one of his better games in terms of the catches he had to make, you know, nine receptions, 139 yards and a touchdown through, I repeat, through a pass for 11 yards on the run to Adam Thielen. Uh, This offense, you know, they, they had some patchy parts, there was that interception that Kirk Cousins threw early that was pretty ugly, um, a couple punts. But as I've mentioned time and time again, so many of our third downs were third and long. And not just any third downs, they were third downs in the red zone, uh, which forced a lot of field goals. Like we moved the ball really well. Beyond a couple drives and the interception drive, we moved the ball really well passed the ball, didn't run the ball well in terms of yardage, but picked up first downs when we had to. But then when we got down to the red zone, ah, there's a holding call, all right? Oh, there was a sack. And all of a sudden, it's third and 15 in the tw- inside the 20. And it's like, okay, I guess we just got to try and settle for a field goal because you don't want to force it into the end zone and get picked. Um, so really, that was the frustrating part of the offense. But like has been the case this whole year, they just they did what they had to do. And credit to the defense that let Mac Jones look like an absolute superstar, throwing 28 to 39 for 382 yards and two touchdowns. At least in the fourth quarter, they really stood up and made plays. They didn't touch him until the fourth quarter. And that's when they got those two sacks and really changed the game. There was a lot of talk on Twitter about how good does Mac Jones look? How my how good did he look? And I said, well. The Vikings' pass defense is like softer than Steve Belichick's flowing mullet. Like uh, this is true. I, I think Zach Wilson would have probably had decent numbers against the. <laughs> now look, Mac Jones mm-hmm. did play well, but like I really do think like there were some throws where we were just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like the yeah. coverage is so soft. Um, and as you said, you've got some injuries in that in the secondary. Um, Ramondre Stevenson is an absolute. I don't know. He's just one of my favorite running backs in the league uh, for the Patriots. Seven carries, 36 yards. So not much on the ground, but made 76 yards on nine catches on 10 targets. So he caught the ball really nicely. Like Mac Jones did play well. I just think that Kirk Cousins played better and Kirk Cousins went up against the, the tougher defense. You know, Cousins going 30 of 37 for 299, three touchdowns and a pick. This was a really nice acid test for all those people who were like, oh, once Cousins starts shakily, uh, you know, you, you know you, you're screwed. Or if you take away that run game from the Vikings and it's all on Cousins, the, you know, the Vikings are screwed. Well, Cousins did really well throwing for 300 yards, 30 of his 37 passes, three touchdowns, when Dalvin Cook was held to 42 yards on 22 carries. The Patriots stuffed the run really well, but Justin Jefferson and... A nice little contribution from Adam Thielen as well. Uh, 61 yards on nine catches for a touchdown. Hawkinson, the former Lion, also caught a touchdown uh, on five on one of his five receptions. I think we can move on. Um, credit to the, the, the defense, though, for, for, for the Vikings. Three sacks, uh, one each to Hicks, Hunter, and Blacklock. Um, You'd have to Google this, but I feel like Ross Blacklock was a TCU Horn Frog, but I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. Um, all right. So 
Good win for the Vikings who get to 9-2. and two. Not a season killer for the Patriots, but they'll be disappointed because I think you were right, Jack. They did look sloppy um, and in some areas that you don't normally expect them to look sloppy in. So really good fucking character-affirming win for the Minnesota Vikings. And with that, let's get to the rest of the slate of games. And I want to spin us on down to what I think might be one of the games of the week. The Cincinnati Bengals traveling in to Tennessee. Now, this is the site of the playoff game from last year where the Titans came in off their hard-earned buy as the number one seed and got pipped 19-16 to 16 by the Bengals. I think it was a field goal at the buzzer, was it? Um, this too, I'm going to open up th this box score so I can check this out. This was the game in which... Ryan Tannehill had his playoff meltdown when he threw um, 15 of 24 for 220, one touchdown, three picks. And I, I'm just going back through the drive charts here. Um, those interceptions came on the first play of the game for Tennessee, an interception on the very first play. Uh their first drive of the second half, he threw a pick, and their final drive of the game. So it was beginning, middle, and end for Tannehill, and he spoke this offseason about how how dark a place it was that he went to after this playoff game. I talked about it after Malik Willis was drafted. Um, so this to me, Jacko, the Tennessee Titans underrated and overlooked this is a hard-hitting well-coached football team and i think the wrong team is favored in this game the the tennessee Titans are two and a half point home underdogs against a bengals team that doesn't have jamar chase that did play well against a pretty average Steelers side I think the Titans' revenge factor is the biggest thing for me in this game. I think they, the, I think Mike Vrabel has a long memory. I think he has a very long memory and makes a little list and likes to check it off. And I think this is one of those games. I think the Titans come out and headbutt the Cincinnati Bengals in Tennessee. What say you about this matchup? This one seems pretty clear to me. Tennessee seem like a much tougher football team than Cincinnati. Uh, I think they've got a better coach. Um, I think the fact that Jamar Chase isn't playing, I would say that they've got a better roster. I think Jamar Chase probably put it over the top for Cincinnati. And then it's this. I know we you can't always look at stats and say that they're going to directly correlate to what the game's going to look like, but I feel like it's it means something. It has to mean something. And Tennessee is second in the league in um, – sorry, they're 11th in the league in rush yards. But I feel like when you look at Derrick Henry and when he's really going for it, he's probably the best running back in the league. Um, and Cincinnati, they're 17th when it comes to rush yards, which isn't horrible. But I don't know. I, I, look, at, I look at Derrick Henry and I think he's looking at any defense, regardless of where they're ranked, and he's going to attack that. And the fact that they don't have some kind of really stout, really tough run defense, Cincinnati, um, I think that that's what they're going to do. I think Derrick Henry has like 30 carries in this game. I think they really just give him the ball. Um, 
because of how good Cincinnati is against the pass, um, I think this is going to be a run-heavy game. And I, I just I feel like Tennessee is just too tough. And I think they're going to go out there going, we had a real missed opportunity last time we met Cincinnati. We should have beaten you, number one seed, at home. And we didn't. And we got embarrassed. And we threw the game away, literally. So I think they're going to be furious. I think they also know Tennessee. They're at seven and three. You get a win here, get to eight and three. I don't know if the one seed is necessarily in reach because of how good Kansas City is, but also Kansas City could lose some games. Like I don't think they're impenetrable, but I think regardless of the one seed, I think they know they're in a real good spot to go ahead and go deep into the playoffs and get some home games and do something. And Cincinnati, I just don't know if I can trust them. They're six and four. They're without their best receiver. I don't know. That, that that's kind of my thoughts. Is Tennessee seem tougher, and Cincinnati's done nothing really to make me in a close game go. Yeah, they're going to win without Jamar Chase. Yeah, I see that Jamar Chase was a limited participant in practice. Now I don't know. I haven't heard that he's going to be back, but what it's saying is limited. I haven't heard that either. Injury. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just think there's a really strong, and I don't think this matters to all teams all the time, but I think Mike Brabel and the, the, the Tennessee Titans are all about revenge game stuff. Just some things that I've read. I just think they're going to be super fired up for this game. And if the Bengals aren't careful, they might find themselves in a 14 nothing hole with Derek Henry running the ball like a freight train in the second half and wearing down the clock. It's going to be, I would imagine, pretty pass, pass, pass for the Bengals um, because I think Tennessee will do everything they can to not let them run the ball. Joe Mixon is out still with a concussion or concussion protocol. So it's going to be really, really interesting. I think the Bengals are a gritty team, but I think the Titans are grittier and they've got serious motivation. The, the run home's not easy. They go Bengals at Eagles, Jags at Chargers, Texans, Cowboys at Jags. So you, as the Titans, you should be sitting there going, we bank two wins against the Jags if we're serious. We bank a win against the Texans. That gets us to 10 wins. That gives us Cowboys, Chargers, Eagles, Bengals. If we split those games, we go 12 and 5. If we go two and two in those games, we go 12 and five, which probably doesn't get you the number one seed. Um, if you go three and one and go 13 and four, you might be close. It's a shame that they don't have the head to head record with the chiefs. That's that mm. game where they lost 20 to 17 in overtime in Arrowhead could shape as a major uh, season defining one. They also don't have the head to head with the bills either. So like you say, the, the first round, the first, First round by, uh, probably out of reach for them, but still a lot to play for in this game in terms of ma making that loss last season right. The other game, or another game that I want to pivot to to talk about um, in a more substantial way is an NFC tilt, uh, which is the Packers and the Eagles. The Packers traveling to Philly, to take on the Eagles. The Packers season, I think it's gone. I think they needed to win last week. They needed to get to five and six. They're now at four and seven. It's hard. 
you know, in the standings, when you look at the NFC presently, um, Green Bay well outside. I'm trying to see because, you know, you you look at the NFC West, who are their direct foes that they're trying to climb over. It's it's probably going to be the wild card in in one of those divisions, uh, or the NFC East, because no one's coming out of the NFC South apart from whatever team wins, and they're they're a good two wins behind. Washington, they're two wins behind the Seahawks and a game ahead of the Seahawks. The Seahawks have an extra game in hand on the Packers. Um, So it's tough to see playoffs in their future. The Eagles have been going through a little bit of a, a, a shuddering kind of patch, but they seemed to work it out late against the Colts. What do you think happens in this game? How do you think it runs? I think this has the potential to be, I wouldn't put money on it, but I think it has the potential to be one of the best games of this weekend. Mm. I've got a feeling that we haven't yet seen Philadelphia get out of this slump. I think they've got one more game to go, and I think this is it. I think they're going to win this game. I think it's going to be ugly. I think it's going to be a lot of running the ball. Um, I think there's going to be some controversial turnovers. There's going to be some classic. I think Rogers is going to start playing well again, like him and Watson, I think actually now do have a really good connection. I think green Bay is going to be far better than their record says that they are right now. And I don't think Philadelphia has worked it out. I, I, you know, they lost to Washington and then they went and played the Colts and beat by a point. Um, and I don't know if green Bay is the team they want to play at this point. Cause I think, Say what you will about Green Bay. I think they've got a lot of pride, that team. Got a lot of pride, and they're trying to defend that pride. They're trying to make something of this season. And I think Rodgers is trying to make something of the rest of this season. I think the fact that Philadelphia's defense is really good is probably why they win this game. I don't know if the Packers' offense is going to be able to do enough. Um, But as we've said... As of late, and also across the season, but more particularly the last month, the weakness in Philly's defense has been the run game. They have not been able to stop the run. They did okay last week, but still not great. And then they obviously, the few games before that, they've been really leaky. And I think Green Bay is going to watch that film and they're going to go, that is how we win this game, is we run the ball. And they haven't run the ball well across the season, but I think, I don't know, I've just got a feeling I'm, I'm inter- interested to see where you're at with this game because I've just got a feeling that Green Bay's in the position where they've been through their slump. They've been through their difficult spots where they've lost games they shouldn't have lost. Um, they've lost games they should have lost because they played really badly. Um, and even though they didn't win last week, I feel like they found something on offense and I think their defense is starting to tighten up a little. And in Philly, I just didn't get the feeling from that Colts game that like, ah, They've worked through their issues, guys. They lost that game, but all right, they're back on track. I think they've got at least one more game to, um, as you said before, burn through the bad fuel um, before they go ahead and start being uh, that sort of number one seed team. So that's where I'm at with it. Am I drinking the Green Bay Kool-Aid? What are your thoughts? Well, it's an easy Kool-Aid to drink because Aaron Rodgers – when it's all humming and, you know, we've seen it in, in, in flashes. We saw it in that game against the Cowboys, you know, where they just suddenly lit up 
Dallas. And, and you know, we saw it in patches, um, you know, last time out for them. I, I don't know what to expect. I really like how aggressive the Eagles. The Eagles are one of my favorite franchises in the league in terms of how they're run because they went out and were like, fuck, we're really struggling to stop the run. Let's add, you know, two, you know, defensive linemen. Um, I can't remember the, the, the other guy's name. I remember Ndamukong Sue. Um, but anyway, the, that and another guy as well. Um, I think he was a former cowboy, possibly. Uh, but, you know, Ndamukong Sue is a big fucking guy who stops the run. So it's just like, you know, Philly are just like, ah, oh, we have a weakness. We will go out and address it. We will go out and spend in free agency or make a trade or, you know, they go, oh, we've actually got a strength here. Well, we're just going to stack more strength on it because we actually had a pretty decent wide receiving core. We're going to go out and add AJ Brown as well. Like, I really like how they run. Something that concerns me for Green Bay is the injury report. Um, they've got David Bakhtiari did not practice. Uh, with a knee injury. Devondre Campbell, linebacker, did not practice with a knee injury. Tariq Carpenter, defensive back, did not practice with an illness. Randall Cobb, wide receiver, did not practice with an illness. Romeo Dobbs, wide receiver, did not practice with an ankle. Rudy Ford, safety, did not practice with an illness. Elton Jenkins, offensive line, did not practice with knee injury. Rashid Walker, offensive line, did not practice with illness. And there are more players on that looks like about 16 17 players on the injury report for the Packers right now in varying degrees of hardship Philadelphia has one person on the week 12 injury report Josh Job defensive back who was limited with a hamstring um that concerns me for the Packers and I think they can play above the sum of their parts I'm with you I see the reality that you're describing where it's like Philly still haven't worked this shit out. And, and you know, like, it's still Aaron Rodgers. And they've got young, talented wide receivers, and they can play. I also can see a game where it's like, oh, fuck, here's Philly from, like, week three. And they steamroll Green Bay, like, 30 to 10, and Jordan Love's taking the final drive because they've benched Rodgers so he doesn't get hurt. Like... I think that's the way it goes for me. I actually think if it's a close game, the Packers might actually get the job done. But I can also see this other reality where Philly is like, oh, what we did on those last you know, drives against the Colts, that's our identity. That's how our defense plays. And now we're just going to get back to doing that. And it's like curb stomp time. Um, so I'm fascinated to see it because I see both possible outcomes. I, I think you're right. It could be a really great game. And I think it's a really important game as we try and evaluate where these teams are down the stretch. Um, just looking through the slate, trying to see, you know, if there's another game here that really stands out to me. We, we've been going almost an hour now, so I think we're probably almost in, in line here to just do our 60-second speed rounds through the rest of these games. Um uh, you know, because I think there's some interesting points of note. Uh, if you're happy to start us off, Jacko, um, I would like mm. your 60-ish second pitch um, on the Kansas City Chiefs and the LA Rams in Arrowhead. In Arrowhead. 
Well, to me, I, I've got a sicko pick. Let, let me lead with that, with okay. the, the Chiefs and the Rams. The line is at 15 and a half, and we've had discussions about this game. It doesn't make uh, – it makes sense, but at the same time, that is a lot of points. And I think we've got we, – we forget that, yeah, the Rams are missing a lot of players, a lot of good players, but they mm. also still have a lot of good players, and one of them is called Aaron Donald. And he can still have an impact on this team. And I, I just get a feeling that, I don't know, I don't know if the Chiefs are going to do enough. And unless I'm mistaken, the Chiefs fail to cover quite often at home, right? It's yeah, on it's the road where they've been better. Mm. So I, I, I think the Rams might actually be better than the market's saying, but the Chiefs will still win comfortably and there will be no threat that the Rams will win. They'll win by two touchdowns. It's not going to be a worry, but the line is really interesting. I feel like 15 and a half have to take that. So I'm taking that as a sicko pick, um, but I think it's indicative of what I think about this game where I don't see this being like 28-point deficit for the Rams. Uh, I think they do something. I still think they're a professional football team. They won't get blown out. Yeah, and I also just wonder if there's, you know, like is is there really uh, any incentive for the, for the Chiefs to to blow, you know, the, the the Rams up. The Rams aren't in their division. They're not even in the same conference. They're not a Super Bowl challenger. You know, I could see a game where Kansas City, you know, gets up, say, 21-0 or, or something like that early. And then, you know, the Rams pull together. They start getting some stops because the Chiefs, you know, prefer to probably run the ball. We're going to run the clock down. We've got a comfortable lead. And you get a cover as a sort of a backdoor thing, you know, happens late. Um, it's a hard one because the Rams are, you know, most likely going in without Matthew Stafford, which means you're probably going to have um, Bryce Perkins at this stage, who I really like. And I, I'm surprised they've been starting John Walford. I think Walford's floor is higher, but I think Perkins' ceiling is is, is much higher. I think he can run around. He can make plays. He might throw a pick or two. Who knows? But yeah, the the, the Chiefs are dealing with some some injuries of their own. Um, you know, so and, and I just yeah, I, I'm with you. Fifteen and a half points is a lot. I think the Rams are a proud team. Uh, I I just I can see this being a comfortable Chiefs win. I can see this being Kansas City thirty, Rams sixteen, or something like that. You know, Rams seventeen. Or, or something of that nature. Like they put a touchdown on the board, they get a you know cluster of field goals, where you know and 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 they cover fifteen and a half points is is a lot, especially in a game where I don't think there's going to be huge incentive for the Chiefs to just destroy someone. Um, I am going to apart from the fact that the Chiefs just like to score points, so maybe we're just overthinking it. Uh, mm. <laughs> Andy Reid is just like a oh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's that one. I am going to talk, Jacko, about the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Indianapolis Colts. All right. I'm just vamping here while I get my, um, my clock ready because I, I failed to get it ready, um, beforehand. Um, the, the Steelers, they are a football team, uh, and they are playing the Indianapolis Colts. The wrong team is favoured here, and I'm taking the 
Wrong team. No, <laughs> the wrong team is favoured here. <laughs> and I'm taking the team that should be favoured, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers are two and a half point underdogs at the Colts. I know the Colts have been much improved under Jeff Saturday. I think they're fine. They're fine. But I just think that this Steelers team is super experienced. You know, for a large part of that game, they had their way with the Bengals, you know, but... The problem for the Steelers last week was the offense couldn't capitalize after the Steelers defense gave them so many opportunities to do so. And eventually they wore down and the Bengals were able to pull away. I don't think this Colts team pulls away. I think the Steelers do, you know, put a hell of a lot of effort in this game into stopping Jonathan Taylor. I think they force Matt Ryan to sit in that pocket and then they collapse it on him. I think this is a low scoring game. They absolutely could lose, but I think if they lose, it's probably like 17-16. I'd prefer this if it was a field goal, but I I just thought it was – I just don't think it's right. I I think there's some stuff to like about Kenny Pickett. I think there's some stuff to like about the Steelers. Jeff Saturday has made this team fight harder, but I think the Steelers get the outright win in this game, and I think it's because they're they're slowly finding something in the run game, um, and that is going to open up things in the past. And Pittsburgh have won the last five matchups. In fact, they lead the the series twenty five to six against the Colts. So I, I feel like there's some there's some uh, there's some long running history going on between these two teams, and I feel like Pittsburgh might enjoy continuing adding to that series and, and, and beating Indianapolis. I would very much enjoy adding to that history. So that's, that's why I'm taking the Steelers plus two and a half. I may even take them outright. I'm thinking about an underdog's triple leg parlay with the Titans at two and a half, the Steelers at two and a half. And I was going to take the Bears, but it doesn't sound like Fields is going to play. There's umming and ahhing now about him. He's, it sounds like a game time decision. And I just wonder if they'll risk him. So I'm holding off that at the moment. Um, Jacko, can you please talk to us about... The Raiders and the Seattle Seahawks. Mm. So this game uh, will not be fun because I don't think the Raiders are going to continue this stretch. I know they won last week, but it was against um, the spicy Denver Broncos. So I, I think the Raiders fall back down to earth. I really do. I got. I just got this feeling. I got a feeling that Seattle is in a bit of urgency of like, oh shit, we got to start putting together some, some wins Here come and the look at the Raiders. <laughs> like they, they need to start winning games. Otherwise they, they, their season will be over. Like I know we've liked watching them, but they're six and four. You get to six and five and an NFC wildcard spot starts to become really difficult. And if you want to be a wildcard team, you got to beat the three and seven Raiders. And I think they know that. I think they're going to do it. Um, as much as Derek Carr has run out of times to cry about how his team isn't helping him, um, it's not going to be enough. And his team is just, it's a bit sad. It really is sad. I feel for Derek Carr and I feel for that team overall because I thought they were really poised to do something, but I just don't think they have it. I don't know if they have the coach, although I they should probably just continue with him, but I don't know if he's the guy. And then... Yeah, Seattle, they've got something to fight for. I think the Raiders have lost all hope this season, so Seahawks win. Boom. I like it. Um, I am going to talk 
now about the Bucks and the Browns. Now, everyone has enjoyed, well, actually, most people haven't enjoyed um, the Cleveland Browns. I don't think I've actually watched the Browns this season. Um, is there a reason? Maybe. Um, but I have watched a bit of the Buccaneers. And the Buccaneers at five and five or whatever they are leading that division. And everyone's like, oh, the run is over in Tampa Bay. Not so fast. I've watched the, this team the last couple of games they've played and they are figuring shit out. This Bucks team is favored by three and a half points and it's not enough. It's not enough, Jack, because, you know, this Browns team might be tough at times. They might run the ball at times. I don't think they're running on this Bucks team. I think the Bucks started to work out how to go back to being a hard-running, hard-run defending team against the Seahawks in Germany. It was like Brady and his band needed to go to Germany and have that, like, existential crisis, like, you know, in Germany. It's like, we found the music again. Um, that's what it was like for me. I think the Bucks cover this. I think the Bucks win by double digits at the Browns. I think that the Yeah, I think this is a dismantling um because I think the Bucks have a hard edge to them and I think they will exploit the weaknesses they find in the Browns team uh, and they cover three and a half points against Cleveland, who are running out of room to make a playoff run this season. Jacko, can you please talk about the Bears and the Jets? I sure can. Um, another game that I have a sicko pick in. Um, I, I'm picking the over 38 and a half points. Uh, it, 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 it feels plays. This is obvious. I, yeah. I couldn't be more confident in an over. But even if he doesn't play, I still feel like um, I still feel pretty confident about hitting that. And the reason is not so much a Chicago thing, um, even though I do quite like their offense, um, even without fields, Mike White's going to start for the Jets. And in the same way that you see teams respond when they get a new coach, you tend to get a similar thing when a new quarterback comes in because he's wanting to prove himself. And quite often the, the locker room gets around him because they haven't been supporting the old quarterback who's been benched. So there's this kind of like team morale boost that you get. And we know the Jets' defense is great. So I think they're going to provide the Jets enough enough opportunities to score. Um, I think Mike White's actually going to play really well. He's played okay when he started before. I think he's going to have a good game. And then I think if Fields plays, Chicago wins, and I think that they win by quite a bit. Um but if Fields doesn't play, I still feel like Chicago's going to put up enough to make it interesting. Um, and then I also think that they're going to just hit the over of 38 and a half. Um, so I'm taking a bit of a risk, considering it looks like it will be a game-time decision. But I'm hoping it pays off and Fields plays. But even if he doesn't, I still think there's a, there's a chance. And, and, and the Jets, they know they've got to win. They've got to be competitive. They've got to put up points because they want to win that division. They want to get a playoff spot. They're going to win this game. This is also a game, a, a total, though, that the Jets, if it all goes horribly wrong for Chicago, could cover on their own. Isn't this a Jets team that beat the Dolphins 40 to 14 or something? Um, you know, the, Something crazy like that. The Bears' defense is not good. And so the, the reason I think you're onto the right line here is that the Jets are probably going to score. 
the you know I think yeah. the Jets are probably going to put up points. Um, if Justin Fields plays, this you know game might have gone over like fifty-five or something. You know because Fields, uh, you know, is just a baller, and the Bears' defense sucks. So you know I I, I agree with this play over thirty-eight and a half, particularly. It's a no-brainer if Fields plays mm. despite the shoulder injury because you don't run with your shoulder. Um, <laughs> Newsflash for um, all the uh, budding people out there who need to learn about the anatomy and how it functions. Um, I am going to talk about the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. Good God. Um, just to think Ugh. that we, we probably have to watch this game. Um, <laughs> in order to analyze Don't, don't make me. <laughs> um, Sam Darnold will be starting at quarterback. The third quarterback to start this year for the Carolina Panthers. Mayfield, I think, is injured. Denver have beaten Carolina the last four times they've played. Um, I, I really don't... I struggle to find what one team does well. And... If you look at the statistical matchup, something that that Denver do well is they defend the pass really well, and they're middle of the road defending the run. Okay, so they rank third for defending the pass in terms of pass yards allowed per game, and they're fourteenth for defending the rush. If Denver can stop Carolina rushing the ball with Deontay Foreman, um, then I think this then Denver will win this game like 17 to seven or something like that. I would love to say that we're about to see like some sort of offensive explosion from the Broncos, but I just do not see it. You know, the, the limited wide receivers they already have are injured. KJ Hamler did not practice with a hamstring injury. Jerry Judy (laughs) did not practice with an ankle injury. Latavius Murray, their running back is limited with a wrist injury. Like it's, it's just not gone well. Um, so to say the least, I think the Broncos win this game. It's crazy to think that if the Panthers win it, they're only a game behind the Bucks. You know, if the Bucks were to lose at the Browns, they'd only be a game behind. It's nuts that that division is so shit. It's just, it's horrific. Um, all right. But, but I think the Broncos get it done, you know, a meaningless Vic. Well, this could be meaningful. These last few mm. games could be really meaningful for Nathaniel Hackett, put it that way, because there's too much money oh, yeah. invested in Russell Wilson for him to be the scapegoat. So, um, all right, Jacko, I would like to hear your thoughts on the Chargers and the Cardinals, the Chargers traveling to Arizona to take on the Cards. I think Los Angeles has found something. Um, I know that they're five and five. It's been really messy, but I think once they get once now that they have their receivers back, um, mainly Keenan Allen, I think that offense starts to they start to remember who they are, which is an explosive, aggressive offense. Now their defense isn't great, but they're playing Arizona, who don't have that great of an offense right now. Um, I don't know if Kyler Murray is going to be playing or not. Um, but even when Kyler Murray was playing, the, the Arizona offense is just, um, they've, they've just shat the bed. So I think Los Angeles feel like, okay, we can finally start to do something on offense 
And as long as their defense just makes enough plays, we can start to win these games. Um, and I, I think Arizona, oh, they're, they're, they're close to the Raiders in terms of one of the saddest teams in the league because I felt like they could have really done something. And you feel like there's going to be some change in the offseason when this when the season is all done and dusted. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a real it's a real downer of a year. Um for for the both of these teams, like you said, the Chargers have really underwhelmed with injury. The Cardinals have underwhelmed and you know they they could probably point to injury and and that sort of thing too, but uh like this is a mess. I don't know if you saw they had to they had to stand down or sack their offensive line coach for groping a woman in Mexico City or something after the game. Really? Yeah, the, like Just the Cardinals the Cardinals are a mess. Like, and we, I was watching the their preseason draft show or whatever. You know, the, their in house team doco, and it was like you could tell it was a mess. Like day one, it was I don't know, it didn't get good vibes, and and that's kind of how it's played out. It, it's just vibed badly from the start, and that's that's how it's running. And yeah, the Chargers, they could still, I suppose, make a charge, ha ha ha, here <laughs> late in the season, but but we'll see. Um, I'm going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens traveling to the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is a really um, important game for mine in terms of where the Ravens season sits. So they're seven and three um, and needing to sort of press the advantage for mine in the AFC North. They need to keep winning because the Bengals are starting to work some things out, but you know, this is a Ravens team that just eked out a game on the road last... I don't know if it was on the road, but they eked out a game against the Panthers last week. Um, They now have to travel to Jacksonville to play the Jags. The Jags have been up and down. I've been disappointed. Trevor Lawrence has been like, okay. He's just been okay. Um, They still feel like a team that's going to need another draft class to really finish this off. I feel like they need another legitimate wide receiver. Um, I don't think the defense is quite finished adding pieces either. I think the Ravens get this done, I think. But there is a there is a weirdo universe where the Jags get this upset. The Jags have a habit of upsetting really good teams like the last few seasons. Like they they bizarrely beat the Bills last year. Nine to six, or whatever it was, or six to three, or whatever that game score was. And you're like, what the fuck happened in that game? You know, I feel like this is one we could see, but the Ravens probably glad they got that bad game out of the way against the Panthers last week. Um, Lamar Jackson dealing with a hip injury, um, expected to play. Um, so yeah, I ultimately think that, um, the, the, the Ravens are going to be able to take away what the Jags want to do in running. And that's the better side of this Jags offense. The Jags ranked seventh for rushing yards per game, but the, the Baltimore Ravens, the third best team in run defense in terms of yards allowed on the ground per game. So I think that's where it starts. Stop them running and, and then make Trevor Lawrence beat you through the air. Um, Jacko, can you give us your thoughts, please, on the... Atlanta Falcons and the Washington Commanders, and a game between two NFC teams who are both, you know, the Falcons still in with a shout at their division, which is probably their only path to the playoff. 
the commanders vying for a wild card spot. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I think this could be surprisingly fun. I hadn't really thought about it um, very much. In fact, I hadn't thought about this game at all. At until, all. <laughs> until you were asked to, uh, to to speak about it here on, on the pod. Yeah, and now yeah, the, the, the NFL universe is trying to not make me talk about this game, but I'm going to because I think it okay. could be fun. Um, you know, you got... You got Heineke and this commander's offense. I think they're really kind of not so much aggressive, but they look like they're always trying to make plays. Um, even if they're not explosive plays, they're just they're trying to win the game with every play. Um, and and the Falcons, like they against a Chicago team that I think is they're not great on defense, but I think overall they're an okay team. They really put it up to them and beat them. Um, so this could actually be one of those games on the slate where you're like, Commanders, Falcons, geez. And then you look at the score and you're like, wow, this was like 31-33 and the Commanders scraped out with a win. I'm going to have to watch the 40-minute version of this. Um, so it could also be an absolute shit fest. Um, but I, I don't know. I've got a feeling that I feel like you always have one of these games every week. There's a game that has two teams that aren't really in that much contention that are kind of shit. And you're like, okay, that'll be boring. And then it turns out to be great. And I feel like this might be the game. Um, like you said, and both teams have a bit of, they still have something to fight for. They're still trying to scrape in, try and get some kind of uh, a chance at a playoff spot. And so the stakes will be high for them. And I, I think it could be a pretty fun game. Nice. I like it. Uh, important game for the commanders. Important game. Um, it's kind of a sneakily important game for both of those teams. Um, you know, you got to keep winning as the commanders to, to keep pace with that wildcard spot. And as the Falcons, your only path in is to win the division, is to catch the Bucks. So, yeah, sneakily important game here. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Saints traveling to the 49ers, and then you're going to finish us off with the Texans traveling to the Dolphins, where Kyle Allen is going to make his first start. Davis Mills is being benched. Um, in the Texans wow. game. So yeah, really interesting move there. I, I, I think um, so I'll start with the saints traveling to the 49ers. Uh, I'll, I'll, um, I'll sum up my thoughts on this game in one word for you blowout. And if you want three words, I'll tell you it'll be an absolute fucking blowout uh, blowout. One word. Um, I, this is a game in the past where you would have gone, hey, Sean Payton, he can get this Saints team up. This Saints team can be feisty no matter where they play. This is not, this is not uh, Sean Payton's New Orleans Saints. Um, I'm not going to take this as a sicko pick, but the 49ers are favored by nine and a half, and that might be being like kind of cutesy and kind to the Saints. I think this is a bad Saints team. I think they're banged up. They've got some talent at some positions, but I think this 49ers um, Caterpillar is about to blossom into a full-blown death machine butterfly. I think this is going to be a butterfly of death that's about to start dropping salt on the rest of the league, particularly if you're a team like the Saints who have Andy Dalton at quarterback. I just think this is just going to be a mismatch. I just think this is like the, the Saints are going outside of their weight class because I think the 49ers are, are starting to churn. That's my thoughts on this game. 
Yeah, well, when we look at the Miami game against against Houston, this to me seems like the game that people think the Chiefs and the Rams game is going to be. I think this also could be a blowout because the Dolphins, unlike the Chiefs, desperately just need wins. Not because they're chasing anyone, but because they really, really want to get that division sewn up. And they know the Buffalo is going to stick around there. The Jets are going to stick around. Patriots are going to stick around. They need to give themselves some space and possibly even go for the number one seed. Against a lot of these AFC teams are relying on the Chiefs suddenly faltering somewhere. But it's the NFL. That happens. And so they want to put themselves in the best position that if Kansas City loses a game or two, they're right there to snatch the, the one seed. So I think they're going to look at this game and go, all right, boys. Let's load up. I hope you guys have got Tyreek Hill starting in your fantasy leagues because he's <laughs> going to go off. Um, and and the Texans, they are they're they're in a they're in a tough spot because I don't think they're going to win a single game from this point on. Um, I think the the one eight and one record is about as good as it's going to look. Uh, and I haven't seen enough of Kyle Allen to know whether or not he's going to improve this offense. Uh, but the fact that he's not the fact that he didn't start instead of Davis Mills from the beginning probably shows that he's not going to make that much of an improvement. So I think Miami's just going to absolutely shellac them. This could be forty to three. This this could be uh, hell. It could be more. We could see fifty nothing in this game. This is my this is my um uh the, now the the Dolphins are dealing with some injury stuff, but I don't think that matters. You know much. I think the move to bench Mills is basically like, we don't want you on the off chance getting us some wins down the stretch. Because we have a particular quarterback we would like to select to take your job next year. And if we let you stay in and keep fucking around, you might get us some wins. So we're going to bench you and start Kyle Allen, who has floated around the league for a couple of years now. And we're just going to make sure that we get to, you know, Two thirteen and one, or two fourteen and one, or whatever it is, <laughs> yeah. and get that number one pick in the draft. Um, and they've got two two picks in the first round as well. The the Texans. So no, I, I agree. Wow. With um, and interesting point too. Dolphins have the head to head record against the Bills. Remember too. So they might not have yeah. the head to head against the Chiefs. I don't know if they've even played the Chiefs off the top of my head. I can't remember if those two sides have clashed yet, but they've definitely got the head-to-head against the Bills. So that's massive in terms of the division, obviously. Uh, So keep winning and you keep increasing your chances of getting that number one seed and a buy through the first week of playoffs. That is it. We have previewed every game. We've recapped the Thanksgiving games. We've given you our sicko picks. And if you didn't hear them, this is what they were. Hope that you listened to Jacko or not. Uh, the Lions covered nine and a half points as the underdogs against the Bills. The serpent of death. Um, got the job done. The Lions covering that nine and a half. But from here on out, we will be tracking. Jack has the over 38 and a half in Bears v Jets. That's a fucking lock if Fields plays. Jack also has the Rams to get brave. Last stand, cover 15 and a half points as underdogs against the Chiefs. I have the Bucks to steamroll the Browns by more than three and a half points. I have the Titans to take revenge against the Bengals to cover two and a half points as underdogs. The Titans 
underdogs at home. And I also have my Steelers, yellow and gold. No, black and gold, but yellow and gold. Fuck. The Steelers <laughs> to play Steelers football and grind Jeff Saturday's Colts into a pulp. Uh, the Steelers to cover two and a half points. Um, so I'll be barracking for them to only lose by one point. Um, that's it. Thanks for jumping on the show, Jacko. I appreciate it. No worries. Awesome. We will be back in your ear holes in the not too distant future to recap all of these games for you. But until next time, ladies and gents, get some football up ya! Yeah!